Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we are diving deep into training. This is uh, a continuation yeah, of our a sequel. somewhat sequel se- series. Is it a sequel? I mean, it kind of is. Sure. It's like a secondary. It's our sequel. Yeah, it's our sequel. This is uh, <laughs> five things my opinions have changed on. I think it's five, right? Yep. With training. So last uh, couple weeks we did, uh, last few weeks because we separated them, we did part one and part two of eight in total for each episode, uh, topics and, and things inside of the nutrition world, the diet space that, excuse me, my opinions have changed on. So go listen to that. Um, actually, part one, part two is not even out yet as we're recording this. So part one actually got a ton of shares. That one did really well. So people really love that. So if you haven't listened to those, go check those out. I think it's it's great to, and this will be too, but I think the, the cool thing about it is you're not only like learning new strategies. I mean, in a way you're not, you're kind of like relearning old strategies or learning why some new strategies don't apply. Right? Or, or are better. Yeah. Or are better or how things have changed. Just different. Yeah. yeah I, think it, I think it's really helpful for coaches because it gets their mind working. And then for um, individuals who are looking for coaches, and I always have this thought in my head of like, how can I make this really applicable for both parties? Because we work with a lot of coaches that hire us to do their training and nutrition. Um, and then we also work with a lot of people who are not coaches, but they're really into this stuff and they're seeking coaches. But it's important for both parties because for the coaches, it gets you thinking properly to coach your clients better. And for the clients, it's going to show you what you should be looking for. Yeah. And I think what you notice with these, now that I look back on the whole idea of how my opinions have changed, there's no black and white answers. There's no like single answer to anything. So when I talk about diet breaks on the, the last one, it was like over here, then over here, then over here. It was just ping pong. Totally. You know, there's so many things and it's like, well, this was stated this way, but you got to consider this. And then what about this? And it's, it's always that way. And you should be looking for that kind of thing. That's, that's a sign of a good coach is when they don't have a single answer. They have, uh, it depends. And then 10 minutes of rambling after that. Right. And, um, most great coaches tend to go on quite a bit of rants. Good. It's a good sign. Yeah. There's a lot of explanation behind every yeah. answer. It's just a lot of thoughts going in. Dude, I actually read this thing this morning that said, um, 50% of what you learn is forgotten within the first hour. 50% of what you learn is forgotten within the first hour. 50%. So the book I'm reading is called Limitless. It's, you would like it from the topic it's about, but it's drier. So I don't know if you would, mm. would like re- actually reading it, but it's, it's basically like the movie Limitless. Yeah. Right? It's basically the whole book is about how do you get your brain to work faster? How do you be more productive? How do you memorize things better? How do you read faster? So it's like, how do you learn better yeah. and quicker and faster and more productively? So you can basically just smarter totally it's really fucking cool um and uh it, it said that in the beginning it's basically it's like as you're reading and as you're studying and as you're learning 50 percent half of what you learn is gone within the first hour if you're not practicing specific things that help you improve your memory there you go so they did a study on just normal people and like, normal read this people. stuff learn this you know and then we're going to retest your memory and 50 percent was gone um now i would say that given the people of the study i think like Okay, you get conduct for a study, and they're like, "All right, so you're gonna re- you're gonna read about the um, red herring canary, which is a northwest bird that lives in the uh, and that's I don't even know if that's a real bird yeah. in the Wenatchee <laughs> rainforest, you know." And so you're like, "Fuck, okay, I could care less about a bird." Yeah, you're probably not gonna remember as much because you don't give a shit about birds. Yeah, so there's always that factor. Interesting. Um, but point is, is you you forget things quickly if you don't 
And their whole thing is like, are you highlighting? Are you using bookmarks? Are you stopping what you're reading and journaling? Are you regurgitating it by teaching it on a podcast like this? Or what are you doing? And they have this method where it's like 25 minutes on, five minutes off, 25 minutes on, five minutes off. So they say, learn, study, work, be productive for 25 minutes, take a five minute break to collect your thoughts, go on a walk and think about what you just learned, write something down, speak it into like a voice note, do something totally. and then come back to it and you memorize more. Um, it was just interesting. So like uh, point being, I think that's part of why these kind of podcasts are so important and why coaches have so many different thoughts because over the years you learn and read and do so many things and you apply so many different things that it's almost like it isn't until this point, 10 years later, 11 years later of training and coaching and learning that I can finally have all these type of thoughts mm-hmm. because back then you forget half of what you learn and you just apply what you're currently learning because you're yep. forgetting things of the past. And when we started creating more and more content, and I years of experience and years of experience and working with more and more people. Now I call back on so many things I've learned and I'm like, damn, that was actually a really good concept or theory when you first I, learned it, when I first learned it and yeah. I just forgot about it or I applied that cause it looked cool, but that shit was stupid. Like <laughs> that didn't make sense. You know, now science is this. So, um, yeah, no, just really, really interesting. And I think I think you guys are going to get a lot away from this podcast. And I think you'd get a lot away from the diet one too. So go check that out for sure. Yeah. Um, but before I, speaking of rant, rant any longer, probably dive into the first cool first topic. Yeah, I think that's great because I know a lot of things change over the years with mm-hmm. science and data and experience and all the above. Yeah, how people do things. I mean, shit, online coaching wasn't even a thing when I started. Yeah. All right, cool, guys. So let's get into the first one. It says... The first topic here is there are fat loss specific training programs. So this was like, I mean, there's, there's, this actually still goes on quite a bit. And the amount of times I've answered this question two two similar questions, one from members, one from non-members, non-members asking what's the best program? Like what, how should I train if I'm trying to lose fat? And then from members, what's the best program in the app if I'm trying to lose fat, (laughs) right? And the answer is always, What does your schedule allow? What do you enjoy doing most? And what is your experience level? So if you're very inexperienced and you enjoyed CrossFit before you jumped into the app and, um, and your schedule is pretty busy, I'm going to say, do the three day full body program. It's full body. So there's a lot of metabolic type of feeling because you're doing legs and then upper body then aren't like you're doing so much that your heart rate's going up. It's going to give you that feel that CrossFit does from a high intensity perspective um, it's only three days a week, fits in a busy schedule and you're a beginner. So it's not too much volume. It's perfect. Right. But that has nothing to do with fat loss. It has everything to do with adherence. It's not too much work for you to do. It fits in your schedule so you can adhere to it and you enjoy it. Right. If you're intermediate or advanced, you've always done bodybuilding programs and, uh, your schedule is wide open. I'm going to say the five or six day plan because you have no restraints on your schedule. You enjoy training and bodybuilding and you can handle a lot of volume. So you'll adhere to it. You'll recover from it. You'll be able to keep doing it. But there's no great program for fat loss because the difference between a training program geared towards fat loss and a training program geared towards muscle growth from a caloric expenditure perspective is so tiny, it's not even worth worrying about. You're not going to burn that many more calories doing a four-day upper-lower split versus a four-day full-body split. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say... You will burn more calories doing a full body split. That is a fact. It's been shown in research. Full body burns more calories than bro splits or or split training at all during the session. Long term, from a metabolic perspective, who knows? Especially because 
the question then begs like, would you build more muscle doing an upper lower? And would that muscle growth lead to more caloric expenditure and a higher maintenance caloric intake, better metabolism down the road? I don't know. You can build as much muscle doing a full body, but a lot of people find it hard to hit enough volume on a full body program compared to an upper lower split. Um, but in a single session, full body would burn more calories. Gotcha. Um, and then you got to ask too, is like, okay, like how many, bo- like out of, cause there are bodybuilders that do full body, but out of the bodybuilders that do full body, it's one in, I mean, I'm taking a wild guess, but one in 50, mm. if I'm being generous, <clears throat> there's just yeah. not that many people do it. Um, and partly because like to get enough volume or train with intensity, like for example, there's delayed onset muscle soreness, right? And so this is kind of outside the topic, but I just want to clarify why. And I, and I like full body programs, especially during fat loss phases, because yeah. You don't need a ton of volume in order to maintain muscle, which I'll get to in a sec. So full body works well, and it, and it does burn a little more extra calories during the session. Why not do it? It's not that big of a deal if you enjoy it, but not enough calories to where you should do it if you hate it. If you hate full body programs, it's, it, there's not enough extra cal- calories burned for you to suffer through that. Um, but when we, when we consider uh, building muscle and delayed onset muscle soreness, if I have, like yesterday, I did legs, right? Today, I feel okay. Tomorrow, I'm going to be pretty damn sore because there's a delayed onset muscle soreness. So usually about 24 to 36 hours later, you start feeling sore. So by the time I train today, my legs are probably going to start feeling it, right? Now, I only did two hamstring exercises. So it's not too crazy. But I guarantee if Monday when I did full body, if I did heavy RDLs Mm. and I really pushed it, I'm still going to have that delayed onset muscle soreness, most likely. So in a day when I got to do full body again and I got to train my legs again, but my hamstrings are sore, my performance might drop. Now, if you're super advanced and you're using a lot of the same exercises, you'll get used to it and you'll adapt to it and you won't get as much soreness. But the point is, is it's hard to keep intensity up when you're still sore from the last full body session. Whereas if I did just legs, I know I'm not going to hit legs again for three to four days. And I'm like, cool, my legs are sore. I don't need to worry about it, right? I'm going to hit upper body tomorrow and I have a rest day the next day because I'm on upper lower split. I'll be able to perform at my best. Now, in regards to fat loss, one thing to remember, and this is why my thoughts have changed as far as there is a training program best for fat loss. Um, Short term, technically, like I said, full body would burn more calories, so we could argue for that. Some people have trouble recovering from that. Some people get joint issues from that. It's usually one or the other. Like People feel great doing full body or they really don't like it. And I've had a lot of clients have joint issues from full body because it's just repetitive movements on your joints. Totally. Some people have really healthy joints. They have a, like low inflammation, low stress lives, and they work well with it. Other people, they get, start getting creaky and achy, you know, at a, even at a younger age because they're doing squats so frequently, RDL so frequently, um, pulls or pushes so frequently. Their joints just kind of take a beating. But uh, the main goal of a training program during fat loss is to maintain muscle. And so for a long time, it was, I thought it was like, let's push for fat loss. But from what we know in research and what we see with experience, seeing how bodybuilders who are getting leanest keep doing the same hypertrophy based programs while they get leaner. And that's what I always do when I want to get leaner. I actually, I favor uh, bodybuilding high volume programs more than I would a full body program that burns more calories because my main priority is is build is maintaining muscle, right? Because if you, there's plenty of people listening to this that have done this, you lose weight and then you're not happy with the result. And it's because you don't look like you thought you would look. And it's because you don't have as much muscle as you thought you did. Mm. Or you lost muscle in the process because you didn't prioritize training for hypertrophy, which is the best way to maintain muscle. So um, 
to maintain your muscle during a cut, you probably only need about 50% of volume, which isn't a ton of volume. So if you typically need 20 sets per muscle group per week to grow, you only need 10 sets per muscle group per week to retain muscle. Now, you do need a level of intensity, and intensity I mean by load, so percentage of one rep max, in order to maintain strength and keep that neurological uh, adaptation alive, and that's going to help maintain muscle too. So when we go into a fat loss phase, if we lower training volume a little bit because we can't recover as much, we also have a little bit of room to increase intensity. So we might go from a, let's say, and I've done this literally, so six-day push-pull legs, high volume, bodybuilding program. And then we go into a cut and we go to a four day a week, upper lower split, which is going to be about 50 to 75% of the volume we were doing before. Mm-hmm. So a good drop in volume, but I'm also going to change my compound lifts to be in the three to six rep range. So now I'm lifting heavier on those compounds to increase intensity a little bit. Okay. That's a perfect plan for maintaining muscle and strength. Now, if I did a full body program, I risk potential lack of recovery if I'm not eating enough food. Some people don't feel this at all. So again, that's, that's very individualized. It's not like a scientific statement. Um, However, I burn a little bit more calories. How many more calories? Not much. So it's kind of like weighing your options of, of recovery and adherence. Um, but in general, I think the consensus is, is once upon a time, I truly believe that there was fat loss specific programs, um, that we needed to do more metabolic work. We needed to do more high intensity intervals. We needed to do full body. Um, I needed to do more compound lifts. And the reality is all those things demand a lot of recovery from your nervous system. So what, what happens is we go into a deficit, i.e. we have lower recovery ability, and then we go, okay, now we're going to do like more sled, assault bike, swing finisher. So more metabolic work, which technically burns a lot of calories. So that's good, right? Now I'm going to do bigger compound lifts because those burn a lot of calories doing heavy squats, deadlifts. That requires more demand. You know what I mean? And then I'm going to do full body, which is high frequency, which potentially means I might have to recover harder too. For some people, I know I feel that way. Um, I'm when I do a hard full body day, I'm just fucking smashed, right? Going deeper and deeper, e- deeper into that stress on top of a deficit. It's just it's a, a re- recipe for disaster, really. Whereas if I keep it into a bodybuilding program, I might be able to stay safer and, and maintain more muscle and adhere longer. You know, just the psychological side of it as well. Um, so in general, I think that the the big shift is that there is no fat loss specific program really. Um, you can really, really split hairs and try to make an argument for a fat loss specific program. But the reality is, is the main purpose of training during a fat loss phase is to maintain muscle and strength, which is also going to maintain bone mass, heart health, cardiovascular, all those kind of things that we want, immune health. Um, and it's going to keep you in the gym longer. Uh, and you should be focusing on like neat. So your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, so walking, step count, sleep, stuff like that, health, general guidelines and your diet in order to create deficit to lose fat. So training, maintain muscle, diet, fat loss. Gotcha. That's that's the true recipe for success versus trying to do a fat loss training program where you're just going ape shit in the gym all yeah. the time and burning yourself out. Yeah. Totally. Damn. So specifically tra- uh, fat loss training programs. All right, cool. We'll uh, move on to the next one here, guys. Uh, we got non-specific training works for specific goals. So non-specific training works for specific goals. A little bit of an oxymoron. Um, I did that because it sounds cooler than concurrent training works. But um, principle number one of the scientific strength training rules is specificity. And I agree with that. So this isn't an argument against it. Specificity implies that you need to specifically train for the goal you are after, which I agree with. If your goal is hypertrophy, 
you shouldn't be training to be better at golf. You should be training for fucking hypertrophy. Yeah. If you're training to be better at golf, you shouldn't be doing a bunch of bro bodybuilding. Plain and simple. Now, it doesn't mean you can't because there's golfers that probably want bigger biceps too. You can do some curls. That's great. But there's specific movements and there's specific strength planes that you want to train to be better at golf, right? Um, Even just from a mobility perspective. Mm. Like bodybuilders need far less mobility than a golf golf uh player you know what i mean so i was like what are, what are they called <laughs> i almost said golf artist <laughs> um golf player uh so there is the, a a principle of specificity that matters right but i think that once upon a time i believed and a lot of other people still do believe that it's almost like the the flexible dieting versus if it's your macros where it's like you just take it too far. So this is flexible dieting. So I'm going to eat Twinkies and protein shakes and still have my calories. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, you could lose weight, but you're going to be unhealthy. You're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to get enough fiber. Like, it's just not a good idea. Um, the specificity rule isn't necessarily a bad idea because if you're trying to be the strongest powerlifter in the world, you should train for powerlifting. But if you did some bodybuilding, it's not going to hurt your progress, right? And for people like us, me and you, or people listening to podcasts, most people listen to podcasts, they're more like, I want to be, and this is where like, you know, the triangle of awareness is something I've talked about before. And it's been, a lot of people talk about it in the industry. It's, it's, and there's a lot of different ways to spin it, but it's kind of like performance, health, aesthetics, you know, mm-hmm. so like body composition, fat loss, hypertrophy, and then performance. So whether it's endurance, uh, metabolic capacity, or we're talking strength, whatever, yeah. and then health, right? Just generally living longer that you can't mix these, right? You have to prioritize and focus on one and then you got to periodize it. I disagree with that. I think you can periodize it, but then you're going, okay, I'm going to spend six months here, six months here, six months here. And then by the time I get back to performance, after I've done a year of uh, six months body composition, six months health, a full year, now I'm, I'm playing catch up for over half the time, totally. right? And this is where like block periodization, I don't like it as much because we go from st- uh, hypertrophy block, strength block, intensity block, power, like power development block, and then back to hypertrophy block. And sometimes those blocks can be four, six, eight weeks. But the point with that is, is it makes sense because you're accumulating volume and then you slowly decrease volume while you're increasing strength and then increasing power. And then you come back to the beginning. But I can promise you by the time you come back to hypertrophy, it's like a completely new stimulus, which has benefits, but you also have to play catch up, right? Unless you're extremely advanced and you're separating it in a way that you're doing. I think that works better if you're doing way more strength work and you're a strength sport athlete for the normal person doesn't make sense why not do a little bit of everything so that you can just kind of slowly level up everything? Why would the, why would the, you know, advanced gen pop want to do that? Because it's just what has been known. So, so what originally dictated what everybody did in the gym really was, was strength sport, science of strength sport, Olympic lifting, uh, uh, periodization of training for, I mean, fuck rugby. I'm trying to think of Olympic sports. Football's not in the Olympics. I almost said football, but every kind of sport, wrestling, anything. Totally. Right. So strength sport, especially a lot of it came from Russia that they were like leading in like weightlifting and all those kind of things for a long time. They had a lot of really, uh, great, they call them like mad scientists. Cause later they found out they were like using drugs for a lot of the young totally. athletes. Um, there's actually really cool stories. There's a documentary called Icarus on Netflix. Damn. It's like a whole fucking, black market conspiracy uh, like hidden for, for the olympics for the athletes and they were yeah they were producing freakish athletes wow getting them while they were young 
And, I mean, they're taking the kids, are, uh, whatever, just take whatever the coach tells me. Yeah. They're just getting fucking jacked. Like, wow. it's crazy. It's a cool story. Um, <laughs> and then one guy decides to turn on it, and then they come after him, and he's, like, in hiding. Uh-oh. And they interview him, and then Netflix documentary is crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool documentary. But point being is, is, I mean, really, really great scientific manuals came out of that era of Olympic sport, right? So what was known is, is block periodization, which made sense for Olympic strength athletes. They had to peak at a certain time and they spent the majority of their time developing strength and power and they would sprinkle in volume blocks every once in a while to increase muscle size because you need that because the bigger muscle is a stronger muscle in theory. Um, so it makes a lot of sense, but for the gym pop person, I mean, you're not spending years of your life to compete in a sport. You're just trying to generally feel better, look better, and be stronger, totally. more resilient, which is that is the whole triangle, right? Health, performance, and aesthetic. So why not work on all of them at the same time in a concurrent manner, which is something like performance bodybuilding, for example. There's power development, strength, compounds, and accessories. And then we have um, accessory isolation work for hypertrophy, uh, which we didn't mention any free guide today, but we'll do that one again. Performance bodybuilding is a free guide on our website. It's a dope ebook that covers all all of the, the methods and principles and tactics of how to program this way to accomplish all those things. Um, so you can go to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides, or you can click one of the links in the description of this podcast and go right to it. It's completely free. But if we do something in a concurrent manner, which concurrent means focusing on multiple goals at once time, right? For a long time, it's like concurrent training doesn't work because you can be subpar at both things or you can be great at one thing, uh. right? Jack of all trades, master of none. Makes sense in theory, um, I think one thing that kind of flipped it on his head is was CrossFit. Okay. Because they're like doing everything. Totally. And like, why are these people jacked, really strong? They great can run athletes. five miles with a weight vest. They're great at everything. Mm-hmm. How can we say, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, maybe there's something to it, you know? Um, now the health perspective, that style of training might not be healthy unless you do what's required to recover fully, which pro CrossFit athletes do. They sleep long enough they take a nap usually every day they eat more than enough food they drink and hydrate calorie wise um gen pop people who overdo crossfit typically forget about all that because they don't see the pros doing that um but point being is that made a a pretty big staple and then people like um uh, alex viada uh, who wrote the hybrid athlete a really really great book if anybody out there listening wants to like research up on this stuff but he runs uh, Ironmans and ultra marathons and stuff wow. like that. So Ironman, you bike, you swim, you run a long Do it distance. All. So you got to be really good from an <clears throat> endurance cardiovascular perspective. But he's also a powerlifter who is strong as fuck. Like, I mean, his deadlift and bench are just insane. It's an epitome of concurrent training. Exactly. And he's jacked. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, um, and he wrote a book called The Hybrid Athlete, and it talks about this. So now all of a sudden we're starting to see like, okay, maybe your body can adapt to more things at once than you realize. It just might take long, more time. But if we're cycling through hypertrophy block, strength block, power block, back to hypertrophy, and we go through three phases of that, that's almost a year, if not a year. So why not do all three all year and you might still get the same point, right? Or maybe you're not, like if you did the block periodization, you might be stronger than you would be if you did them all. But when you did them all, you can also run five miles pretty easily. You also are a little bit healthier because you're working on multiple energy systems and you look better because you're jacked. Yeah. You know, so there was context there. And I think my mind has just shifted from these people really and from working with a lot of CrossFit athletes who I was doing their nutrition and I just see them and I'm like, you're improving by the week. You know, you were taking care of recovery and stress management. You look amazing. You're strong. You're a freakish athlete. This is the epitome of concurrent training, you know? Um, And that's where I really started diving into performance bodybuilding, which 
I think takes more, it takes less of a, so like, I don't think any concurrent training is really like perfectly even. So even CrossFit, it's very like endurance, strength, power, and then you get hypertrophy as like a secondary benefit. Performance bodybuilding is more like strength, power, hypertrophy, and then you get endurance and, and aerobic capacity as a secondary gotcha. benefit. Um, so that type of athlete might be better at a long distance run, but the performance bodybuilding athlete might look a little bit better. Yeah. Right. And that's usually what people want that come to us. That's why I did that. Um, but the whole point is just concurrent training in general, man. Like uh, Westside Barbell was a big influence on that too, because they were the first powerlifting group to start doing, uh, uh, they call it conjugate method, but a max every day and a dynamic day. So they had a day where they do just strictly strength development. Then they have a day where they do speed, power, dynamic work, and they have aerobic conditioning in between for active recovery. And they put some of the strongest bodybuilders in the world, or sorry, strongest powerlifters in the world on the platform. And we're winning world records. And it's like this little garage gym. And they're just producing these monsters. Wow. There's a do- uh, Netflix documentary on that too. West Side for Life. It's sick. Sick. Um, they're like a scary fucking gym, dude. Like, I mean, those guys West are Side. savage. West Side Barbell. Ah, yeah. And uh, West Side Ohio is where they're at. And it's just like Louis Simmons. So that, that's his book down there. I got it. The West Side Barbell Book of Methods. That's not the same as the podcast. Um, barbell. Barbell Shrugged. Yeah. No. Okay. Different. Um. Westside Barbell is like old school. Louis Simmons is a guy. He's probably almost 70 now. He's an old dude. Um, he's got a huge tattoo on his stomach of a pit bull with chains around its neck. He's that a savage. Um, so I know a few people that from there. AJ Roberts, I've, I've hung out with him multiple times. He was good friends with Luca. Um, really good dude. But they're just some of the freak athletes. Jordan Syatt interned there, so he trained there for a while. Um, that's how he got in powerlifting. Mm. Um so just just crazy place, but they did a style of concurrent training. Gotcha. Um, so you just kind of I, I started learning over the years that it's possible, and then when I dove into CrossFit and I saw these CrossFit athletes doing things, and I saw this hybrid training kind of going on, it gave me permission too to be like, you know what? Like I love bodybuilding because I want to look good, but I like having fun. I like doing box jumps. I like doing sprints. I like doing throws. I like doing some cardio because it keeps me healthy. It's not going to ruin my gains, and now it kind of gives you permission to kind of drag and drop like a template yeah. play around a little bit and know you're still going to improve potentially just as much, totally. you know? So, um, the whole point of non-specific training works for specific results is you can have multiple goals. You can have less specific training because you have multiple things that you're doing. You're training multiple qualities and modalities at a time, and you can still get really, really far with your training. And most of, I, I have some strictly bodybuilding programs and I have some strictly strength and conditioning programs. But a lot of my programs have a mix because that's usually what people want. Yeah. They just are told that you have to have this specificity. Yeah. Um, and, and to add to this too, um, and this one will be a, a, a longer bullet than the other ones because there's two points of this. This is one that I, I still, I'm like 50-50 on, but I do think it's important to put out because they put out a research study. Um, hypertrophy is less specific than strength. And what I mean by that is, is hypertrophy is much more about a movement patterns and tension applied to a muscle. Uh, strength is much more neurological. It's a skill. So I don't think you're going to have the strongest bench press you'll ever have by doing bunch of different bench press variations and a bunch of different rep ranges every week. You know, like Westside did this a little bit. They worked to one rep max every week, which is really, really heavy training every single week to do. Um, one, most of them were using performance enhancement drugs, which is fine. They're a non-testing sport, um, league, but they also were working to that absolute max intensity. 
So changing the modality, so going from a neutral bar to a straight bar to a, a floor press to um, an incline press to with chains, whatever, it actually helped reduce injury because it was, it was a new stimulus, so you couldn't overdo it, but you could reach that peak intensity every week. For everyday people, it's, I don't think it's the best route. I would rather stick with something more consistently, and there's not many people I can program for where I'm like, use a neutral bar, then use chains, then use bands, then use a, a floor, you know what I mean? They, they have a barbell in their garage or they go to the gym and most gyms don't have all these tools. Um, but the point is strength is neurological. So specificity matters quite a bit. So you should do the barbell bench press in the same rep range every single week for many weeks so that you get really good at it. Cause it's a skill, um, hypertrophy. They did a study and they called it flexible training, which is kind of like flexible dieting. The whole point of like, well, as long as you get your calories, you know, it doesn't matter if you have white potatoes, red potatoes, sweet potatoes, rice, brown, whatever, just hit your carbs, hit your macros. They did the same thing. They saw the same results with accessory work. Gotcha. So outside of the compound lift, they would have one group would do a one arm dumbbell row for eight reps. The other group would do a horizontal row for eight reps. And it might've even been like a horizontal row unilateral for eight reps. So they could do a one arm dumbbell, one arm landmine, one arm cable, one arm, whatever. Um, if it was a bilateral, they could do a barbell, a cable, a neutral grip, wide grip, a T-bar row, whatever. The point was they were doing a row and they were, they had a specific rep range that they were in and they saw the same results. So one wasn't better than the other. Um, I think it was an eight week study. So we could argue that maybe there's something to say about more, but I still like, it gave me permission to stick with a, an accessory exercise of less length. So instead of being like, you got to stick with this exact row for four to six weeks to progressively overload it. Now I feel okay saying, Hey, the compound's going to stay for four to six weeks, but we're going to change your your accessory work every two to three weeks because totally, yeah. then it stimulates your mind. It's fun. Um, I even have programs in the app and uh, one of the old programs we launched is an ebook FIT functional intensity training, which our members still get access to all those, but I changed it every single week. So people were like, Oh, it's a new, it's a, like basically a new workout every week. But what they didn't realize is for fucking eight weeks, you're doing a, a unilateral quad dominant movement for eight reps, but they don't think about that. So, Week one is a split squat. Then it's a front foot elevated split squat. Then it's a rear foot elevated split squat. Then it's a reverse lunge. Then it's a forward lunge. Then it's a deficit. And then it's a walking. So by the time we had eight, we've done eight different variations, but your body still developed strength in the unilateral quad dominant plane, gotcha. right? But that's flexibility. So that's where I'm like non-specific for a specific result, right? So I think it applies to the grand scheme of programming as well as exercise selection in some cases. Totally. That was a way longer answer than I was expecting for that yeah. one. But that was good. Totally. That was good. All right, cool. We'll go to the next one, guys. Uh, we have the next topic is with experience comes complexity. Complexity. With, e with experience comes complexity. 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 You're uh, enunciating that part pretty weird. That's like. Uh, Say it again. Complexity. Complexity. Yeah. With experience comes complexity. Yeah. Complexity. Um, that's what, uh, this is uh, completely off topic, but if there's any uh, hip hop heads listening, I think Ludacris is underrated and I think he's underrated because he's a great lyricist and he, and he like enunciates his words tremendously. Yeah. Like when you listen to, you know, when you listen, especially nowadays, you listen to some rap, you're like, hold on, what are you, you were in the office yesterday. Yeah. You were like, are you listening to Spanish? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, this is Post Malone. No, it was Spanish. <laughs> it was definitely Post Malone. I don't think he's bilingual. It, it wasn't. No, it wasn't him singing. I know. It was, it was the a song. It, it was, was a girl. Thank you. But and it, it wasn't, was. It wasn't Spanish. All right, dude. It's the. It's the. It's the song. It's called Sunflower. If anybody listening wants to check, that it out. that wasn't the song. Yeah, it Sunflower was. is like with uh, Sway Lee. 
something yeah and uh and something za is the producer of that song okay it was sunflower okay or it could have been close to the sun where he's like which don't, is don't get close too close to sun but i know they're not in spanish because i know the words to it i don't know sp- how to speak You're spanish. <laughs> yeah but it's but it's mumble yeah it's mumble music yeah. you know what i mean migos is the same way yeah you have no idea what half the shit they say is. Yeah. you don't even know if they're actually saying stuff. maybe yeah. they just sound cool and people like it totally waka flocka yeah no idea what he was saying. He sounded like, uh, I saw this meme, the guy from uh, the Sesame Street, not the Cookie Monster, but the red guy that's like. Yeah, I know what you mean. He yeah, just, rah, rah, rah. yeah, you can't understand what the fuck he's yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And they had Waka on. It was yeah. fucking hilarious. Oh, dude, It was I, like the Waka music video. I totally but, remember yeah. that, yeah. Um, you but, almost said red guy, like Elmo? Elmo's in there, yeah. but it's not Elmo. Okay. The red guy in there, Elmo's blue. No, Elmo's red. There's a he plays the drums. Your, your he plays the drums. Sesame Street, bro. Well, I know it because you don't know. Oh, it. No, you I'm think thinking of blue. I'm thinking of uh, the Muppets. Oh yeah, because Blakely watches Baby Muppets. Oh. Well, don't think Elmo's yeah. blue. And he plays the drums. Yeah, and he's like you can't understand. But, um, uh, but Ludacris, man, that guy you can hear every, every word, word. Yeah. and he like really enunciates it. Yeah. I, I appreciate that it's a lot. Sick. But um, okay, so experience comes complexity, right? So experience as in like when you're training and you become more experienced, you become more advanced. And once upon a time, I don't think I would have said this directly. Like as you get more experienced, you need more complexity in your training, but I definitely did it. I definitely, I I played into that and a lot of other people did too. And it's this idea of like, okay, well now you're advanced. So, I mean, you can't just do a reverse lunge. You know, you got to add a band and a chain and a wobble board and all kinds of shit, right? You can't just do a barbell bench press. You got to, you got to add chain. You got to add band. You got to do whatever. Um, And one person that influenced me to think otherwise, and this, this goes in waves. So like as a trainer, you start learning and you start doing just crazier and crazier and crazier shit. And I actually have a picture of me doing something stupid and I use it in presentation. Um, It's like the first year I started like training people and my feet are on a BOSU ball, which is like, the wobble balls, yeah. you know, and then I have two med balls stacked on each side. Oh so I have God. a med ball stacked on top of another med ball and I'm doing pushups. Like, how, wait, 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 how are you doing a push up while standing on it? My Maybe feet are on it. Your toes? My toes are like on the BOSU, a, 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 the BOSU ball. Okay. okay and then okay. I have two med balls yep. stacked on each side. And I'm yep. balancing the med balls and I'm doing push ups. Okay. Stupid. It was really hard. Like, I mean, and you could argue maybe like Co- shoulder stability, you know, core. like core, a lot of core shoulder stability. Cause you're trying not to wobble and you're trying to control it. But I could hold a, a light kettlebell upside down and get the same effect and just stand there. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, injury. Same effect? Yeah. I yeah. mean, a better, really, because yeah. I can do many, Safer. many, many, many sets, not fatigue myself and not hurt myself. Yeah. The amount of times I ate shit on that is stupid. I mean, think about it. Two balls stack, or ball stack on another ball. Ridiculous. You can do like two reps, you know? <clears throat> but the point is, is I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm advanced now. Like, <laughs> I got to do complex shit. Yeah. Stack more med balls. Put my feet on wobble boards, do things, add chains, add bands, like uh, more, 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 more. And that's just not the case. You know, Dan John, if you're a coach listening to this and you don't know who Dan John is, look him up right now. Um, I'm trying to think of the book he wrote way back. I read it a long time ago. He spoke to my class when I was in college. Unbelievable, uh, unbelievable coach, uh, philosopher. He's, he's, extre- he's just a legend in the training world. He trained a lot of track athletes, but he, he was known for simplicity. So Never let go? Never let go. Um, and it's, it's a training slash mindset book. It's a really, really good book. Old, but it's, it's amazing. But he, he, like you would do a Dan John program, and you'd look at it on paper, and you're like, it's an hour-long workout. And you're like, okay, whatever. And it's like you're doing, uh, it would be like a bench press, 
a chin up, a kettlebell swing, and a farmer's walk. Mm. And you're going to take rest in between. You're not going to do super high reps. You're just going to have good form, heavyweight, hour. You're like, okay. And you're destroyed. Because it's so simple that it becomes extremely difficult. Yeah. Because if you do a heavy bench press with great form, you do a heavy weighted chin up with great form, you do a kettlebell swing with perfect execution, and you do a heavy farmer's walk, you're training everything on your body head to toe. And you're doing it consistently with short rest periods throughout uh, an hour. You just have to be physically fit. Yeah. He would have these challenges like... Or, or smoked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would have like... Uh, I want to say it was him that did the deadlift challenge. And it's like, all right, 315 on the bar for straight bar, which for one rep, for a lot of people, it's... it's not crazy if you've been strength training a long time. Um, and you could do it on trap bar. The other day when we were filming reels, I was doing 375 for sets of five or six. Mm-hmm. So just for context, 315 for one rep, it's easy. Yep. Every minute or every other minute on the minute for an hour, I think it was. Wow. Something stupid. Yeah. But man, 10 minutes in, you're like, fuck. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> but you would always leave a program going, that was the simplest thing on paper, but my whole body is sore. My whole body got worked. I'm not injured. I feel great. It's functional. Like he was really good about that. But what he, what it taught me was that simplicity, you, you never, you never grow outside of simplicity. I mean, and we can think honestly, like that's a life lesson. Realistically, there's been so many times in business where I've talked to mentors and it's like, I'm overcomplicating the process. I'm overcomplicating the next step. And they're like, Hey, let's, let's go back to what you did originally. How did this all start? Mm. What were you best at? What were you known for? Okay. How do we just do that better now? Same thing, you know? Now, granted, as you grow a business, you got to implement new things. You do new things. But you never let go of what started it all. You never, like, it's like the whole thing, never forget where you came from, right? Same exact concept. In training, it's the same thing. What worked then can work now if you just execute it better, if you do it heavier, if you do it more frequently. Simplicity is not smarter. Yeah, simplicity is a lot of times much smarter for success in general. But with training, it can be that way too. Um, I posted that IGTV video today where I'm flipping off the camera. And uh, and that was a hard workout. It was like we were – I think it was right after Dallas – so I had like a weird couple weeks of training, like very spotty of like doing different body parts and what I could do, you know, while traveling when I was back, when yeah. I was before I left. And so I was like, all right, well, I haven't touched on shoulders and back in a little bit, so I'm just going to do a shoulder and back day. And I kept it so simple. Overhead press, chin up, lateral raise, row, and then I finished with some face pulls and some curls. Six total exercises, which is not that much for hitting three different body parts. Um, and they were all very basic movement patterns, right? Overhead press. Row chin up row lateral raise which is the most common and basic isolation work for your shoulders ever face pull and then curl you know it's very very simple but i did everything with slow tempo heavy loads executed perfectly took my time and i did a good amount of sets for them you know when you do that on paper you look at it and it's like huh but it crushes you and we used to always say this about in person training a great trainer can make an advanced individual crumble with Mm. simple programming i remember taking fucking people literally through a push-up and teaching them how to do a push-up perfectly and i would have grown-ass men who are buff as hell shaking after five reps of a push-up and if you're a great coach you can literally push somebody to their edge with easy, simple, well-known exercises. You do not need complexity. Simplicity is often the answer. And I think a great coach and a great programmer, which you need to be in order to online coach people for fitness, for sure, 
Um, and I try to do this a lot in app and I do like to spice things up in some of the programs and that's their purpose, but there's a lot of programs where it's very, very simple. And the reason people are so successful with it or have such great results with it is because they're simple. And if I can take simple exercises in a simple format and I can have you look at the program on paper and go, this will be easy and I can crush you. It's a win. And that's hard online because I got to make sure you're doing things the right way with the right intent. I had a guy reach out to me and say, Hey, I just signed up for the app. I was checking out the uh, performance bodybuilding program. I'm going to jump in, but I think I might add a little bit of this on the end of these days. I might add a couple of these days per week. And he, he messaged me in the app. And I literally messaged him back. And I was like, you can add whatever you want after you give this three weeks. I was like, do it to the fucking T and push yourself and read the cues for three weeks. Just give it three weeks. And this is the first, this isn't the first time I've had this type of conversation, but I just said, give it three with weeks. With him or with anybody? With multiple people. Okay. Only time I had it with him, but his response was amazing. Cause I was like, just give it three weeks, do it. And he's like, all right. Three weeks later, he hit me up. He was like, there's no way I'm adding anything. Like <laughs> and I was like, dude, cause on paper, if you look at it and you might go, oh, whatever. But if you do it with the right intent, if you do it with the right effort, with the right execution, the right form, full range of motion, and you do it with proper techniques of training, smoked. you're smoked. And it's simple as fuck. So complexity does not equal better or more experienced or more advanced advance is advanced yeah you know an advanced person can do the same exercise there's actually a good program in there power building people ask me about this all the time what's a great program for beginners in there i'm like power building like okay and then i'll get people saying what's a great program for uh advanced people that want to do four days power building (laughs) and they're like i don't get it and i'm like you don't need more there's all the a lot of the accessory and accessory work say three to four sets so that's the only adjustment you need to make if you're a beginner stick with three if you're advanced go with four but if you're more advanced, you should be able to do it better. You should be able to have a better mind-muscle connection because you've built the skill of training your muscles and you should add more load, which means the whole thing increases from an intensity perspective and an effort and a difficulty, right? And if you can do that, now that beginner program became super advanced, right? And I actually have some fucking amazing testimonials from some of Ariel's clients. Literally in writing, they messaged her saying how intimidated they were by the app and how they didn't think they could do it because they see me squatting and stuff on Instagram, but they figured they would listen to her and give it a try. And love they love it. They're not confused. They're not intimidating. They're progressing. They're doing exercises they never thought they could do because they were afraid of a barbell. Like amazing feedback. Like so cool. And it's hard for me to put, like, put that out there personally because obviously I'm not afraid of a barbell. I've been doing it for 11 years. But I'm going to share those testimonials soon. Like, because I just got them yesterday. Because she sick. told me about them. I was like, dude, you need to send me those. Yeah. But, um, but no, I think the biggest thing is as you get more advanced, you don't need more complexity. You, sometimes you just need, need more simplicity. And oftentimes that's the best training sessions I have. And some of the coolest client experiences are when I, like, again, I make somebody crumble off some simple shit. Yeah. Um, if I ever get the chance to meet anybody in person, the push-up's the best one. Don't, I can Don't look too far into the paper. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I could do it with a squat too, but the push-up, man, is well, it was always my favorite one because I'd get guys that were like, I can do 100 push-ups yeah. an hour, you know. I should even do it with some of the guys that lift with me because they're, they're, I've listened to them talk. I can crank out push-ups like nobody's business. Travis like, Hunt. Yeah. And CJ too. Travis Hunt was like the push-up dude in, in CGH. I believe it. But the right push-up. Doing a perfect push-up, not that many people know how. Dude, mm-hmm. dude, so do you remember those things that were on, like, I've seen on TV? Yeah. Those handles that twisted? Yeah. Those actually are amazing. I used to have them. They're yeah. so good because... Rotation. Yeah, I kind of did it in that one reel. Remember, like, one of the reasons why people have horrible push-ups is because they just go straight... They go too wide, first of all. Then they go straight down, and now they're going into anterior glide of their scapula, so they're protracting when they should be retracting. Um, 
they usually let their low back sink in. So they have no core engagement. So you got to tuck your tailbone, squeeze your glutes. Your knees should be locked out. A lot of people don't think about their legs, but you should be straight as a board from your heels to your shoulders. Straight line, completely locked out. Knees are locked out. Glutes are tight. Hips are extended. Rib cage down. Abs are tight. So at the top, you're just straight as a board. Before you even push up, you're fucking working. <laughs> at the top of a push up, you should actually push all the way through. Let your shoulders roll forward into protraction so that you round out the top of your back right? Because that sets you up for a proper retraction. Then you should pull your shoulders down and act, actually like you're pulling yourself into the floor. You don't have handles like yeah. those things, but what you can do, and you can use dumbbells to help you with that. So you can pull into them. But what you do is you act as if you're pulling yourself on the ground, you spread your fingers out as wide as you can, and you actually corkscrew the floor. So you go rip outward, out. you rip it out. So you twist your hands into the ground outward, which is going to rotate your elbows inward pull your shoulders down and fire your lats. And now you have about a 45 degree angle between your, your elbow and your, your torso. If you do that for 10 reps, everything I just said, lock out your body completely, keep your core tight, keep your glutes tight, rotate your hands while your fingers are spread outwards. So twisting outwards, bring your elbow into your body, pulling your lats in. You will get done with a set of pushups. Not only will they be way more difficult and you'll do half as many reps as you normally do right. at best, your lats are on fire from pushups. Damn. So that one day we were filming and I kept trying to do them for the camera. Yeah. My lats were on fire, dude. But it's because you're engaging your posterior chain. That's a proper push-up. And that'll make you so much better at bench press. Not complexity. Yeah. But that, yeah, and to conclude it, that's a simple movement. Yeah. Don't, don't over, make everything overly complex. Yep. No point. Dope. That's good, man. All right. Let's uh, go on to one more here. We got functional equals unstable. So you've changed your mind on this, huh? Uh, from my BOSU ball med ball days. Yeah. So that's an unstable surface. Um, and I like, I, th I believe Joe DeFranco is on this tip. I think there's a couple other guys that are really smart. And I've talked to you a little bit about this, where it's still kind of an argument in sports, right? You see pro athletes like LeBron James squatting on a BOSU ball, right? Extremely dangerous to be doing with one of the, the top players in the league currently. You know, like... You probably, I mean, that's a, what, is he a billionaire, you think? Like, as of this year, they just announced it, yeah. Whoa, yeah. that's crazy. So, a billion-dollar athlete probably shouldn't be having him squat on a BOSA ball, right? Even if there is benefit, the risk is high. So, one thing you got to consider with athletes, and this is not about athletes because I'm not an athletic trainer, but. But the only part I argue with you, and I'm not arguing with you, but I want to know, why are they having to do it then? Probably because it's You sexy. think they're stupid? You probably that's cool. Like, I mean. Cool. So, some people are careless, though. But even, like, dude, I work with WWE people. If I hurt them, they don't have a job. They're not on TV. I get it. They're fucked. Then LeBron's smarter than that. Or I, I w <laughs> never know. I, I mean, dude, I guarantee there's, there's athletes that you tell them what to do. They'll do it. You know what I mean? The risk, the risk of barbell back squatting on a BOSU ball does not. Well, dude, there's no barbell back squatting. It's just, like, balancing. No, there's, there was the actual videos. Unless it was another pro player, there was like a, a big thing in the strength world where there was actually like, and I thought it was LeBron, there's a pro player doing barbell back squats on a BOSU ball and it like wreaked havoc in the strength world because they were like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Horribly dangerous. Okay. Um, you want to do an air squat on a BOSU ball? Oh, that's totally fine. I agree with that to an extent. You know what I mean? Yeah. It depends on what you're doing. I did, uh, I did squats on a wobble board. I stood on a wobble for my knee rehab because I needed to build stability yeah. and un get my muscles firing to be able to stabilize my knee. So there's, there's a time and a place for it. But once functional, so basically what my whole thing was this, like um, number one, functional, we have to define that. Number two, you always have to look at risk versus reward. So air squat on a BOSU ball, 
right? The risk and reward are probably even. Maybe there's a little, depending on his, maybe he has some some issues with his knee or his lateral hamstring, something he needs that. Okay, maybe there's more reward than risk because you're not really going to get, get hurt doing an air squat on it. You might fall off, whatever. Um, it'd have to be like a really weird fall, trip, roll sure. your ankle, something ridiculous, right? So if the reward's higher than risk, great. Add a barbell, now the risk is higher than the reward Much. and benefit. There's no point in it. So you always have that outweighing each, or that balance to find. Um, but that sounds absurd. The other argument, a barbell squat on it. Yes. Yeah, it is. I don't think it was LeBron, but it, I, whoever it was, was that's not. I don't know basketball players. Yeah, no, but no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I know. I'm positive. I'm, I'm, I am positive. It was a basketball player, not a, not a football player, or anything else. Gosh. But, um, but the point being is, is the other thing to think about, and and this is where there's an argument. Some would disagree. Some would agree. I tend to agree with the side that says they're kind of useless. Is you're training on an unstable surface to then play on a stable surface. Good. That doesn't really make sense. You know, I would rather add weight or resistance, right? So for example, instead of doing a single leg, uh, like reach where you're doing like a single leg RDL and you're just reaching forward and doing like a hip hinge on a BOSU ball, I would rather you do that on the surf on flat surface. So hardwood, right? Like, let's take you to the court, do it on the court. I'll put a band around your waist from the side, and I'm just going to kind of nudge you a little bit. Yeah. Why? Because there might be a point where you're in a split squats position or you're going up for a layup or you're going for a rebound and you're on one foot and there's a guy knocking you on the side. That's lateral resistance, single leg stability. That makes sense. Totally. Put you on a BOSU ball, it doesn't make sense. You're not bouncing on a fucking paddle on the ocean while playing basketball. Yeah. Makes no sense. Um, if you're a professional paddle board person, maybe it might make sense. <laughs> Specificity, right? Yeah. But their argument was basically that, like, and, and the people arguing for it do train a lot of pro athletes. Um, and I respect them, you know, the people, and this is where, like you said, why would they have them do it? Yeah. The people that I've seen argue for not using unstable services like that, because one, it doesn't really directly apply, but two, because the injury risk is higher. Those people are extremely smart strength coaches who ended up working with some athletes. They're not famous because they work with athletes. They're famous uh-huh. because they, they're strength coaches. Yeah. I think there's also some pro athletes who are like, oh, my boy's a trainer. Now he's a fucking the trainer, a trainer for the Cavaliers or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, how'd you get there? Did you get there because you fucking worked up the right? Like Ben Bruno, for example. Ben Bruno, I remember reading his articles on Teen Nation before he was training any pro athlete. And he was just, he's just a great fucking trainer. Now he trains pro athletes in fucking Justin Timberlake, all kinds of people. Because he worked himself up there. Yeah. Really, really respectable guy. I take a lot of exercises from him and stuff. And occasionally he does something on a semi-unstable surface. But it's usually like core work. So like hands on a BOSU ball. Totally. You ain't going to get injured in that. It's, that's actually great because now I'm wiggling and it's, and it's creating anti-rotation. Yeah. Which is going to apply if somebody's going from the side or you're twisting, rotating, a sock player, whatever it may be. But um, point being of, of what my mind has changed on is functional uh, – doesn't equal unstable, right? And what I mean by that is a barbell overhead press is not an unstable exercise. It's actually stable. You have a fixed bar above you. So you're not doing a barbell with kettlebells hanging off bands. You're not doing a single arm kettlebell or an upright kettlebell press or anything. You're just doing a barbell. It's a fixed movement. You're standing bilateral still. You're pressing. Even stuff like a single arm dumbbell overhead press while holding the rack for stability. You're pressing overhead. I still think that's functional. It's a free weight. And there's plenty of times where you put things over your head. I mean, shit, yesterday I had Blakely over my head in one arm and we were doing like the plane thing, you know, and I pick her up and I, and I always do it with one arm and I just kind of have my hand here. It's easier. 
that's that overhead press applies to me doing that to my daughter. That's functional. Totally. A farmer's carry or just holding kettlebells. That would be like, oh, that's kind of functional, but you're not on an unstable service. You're not moving fast. I got to carry groceries. I got to hold them. I got to hold a suitcase from in line. You know, like functional doesn't always just mean that. And then the other side of this too is like people will be applicable. like, yeah. And then if we take it a step further, curls, how are curls functional? It's just for aesthetics. Well, there's a lot of times that your biceps activate. So I might do a sitting curl in this plane, but I might have to pull something like this over, like with my elbow in front of my face, right? I might have to grab something from the ground and I can't move my shoulder. So I pick it up from my elbow, right? My biceps have to function. So, and they have more functions than just curling when it comes to supporting other muscles and joints and stuff. So I think that functional for a long time was just, if you didn't have a band or a BOSU ball, it wasn't functional. That was wow. basically what it is. And then it turned into functional was just free weights. So yes, bands, both balls, whatever, but also dumbbells, kettlebells. And then it was like, okay, barbells could be considered functional fitness too. Um, and now there's some people saying like, well, why can't cables be functional? Why can't a machine be functional, right? If you're moving in a plane of motion that applies to any aspect of your life, be that sport, be that sleep, be that carrying things, be that sex, be that anything, anything for your life, if it applies to it, it's functional. Functional means you are functioning through life. There you go. So if training helps you do that, it's functional training. You know? So I think that my whole point with this one is, is really, it's actually really simple. There's not a lot of explanation to it. It's just that if your training helps you improve your life and function throughout life better, it's functional fitness. It is functional training. Totally. Period. Totally. That's it. Love it, man. We still have some more. Yeah, but we got some more, but we are going to do a part two uh, next week. So... Look forward to that. Any yeah. uh, other announcements? You got that physique guide? Yeah, the performance bodybuilding was the one we uh, uh, shouted out now, but just um, head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides. I mean, there's a ton on there. You know, we got plenty of guides. They're all free. Um, recipe guide, nutrition guide, performance bodybuilding guide, physique manual guide. There's tons of stuff on there on top of all the free content. Um, check out the, the part one and two of the diet opinions that have changed. Um, we only have one more on this list, but like, as we were talking, I literally started coming up with new ones. Cause I knew as I started getting into training, I'd totally. have things come to mind. So I'm glad we're doing a part two. Um, but stay tuned for that guys. Uh, like I said, check out all the things, share this podcast. If you want to help, let us help it grow because that's how this thing grows is that you guys help us do it. You can take a screenshot of the podcast. You can share it on your story. Tag myself at Cody McBroom tag at tailored coaching method, uh, to let us know you're listening. Um, and most of all, even on top of that, share this with a friend, send this to somebody that would get help from it, tag them in it, send it to them on their story, whatever you got to do to get other people listening to it. We appreciate it. It helps us do more and invest more time to help you grow as a trainee, as a trainer, whatever you are, we just want to help. So thanks for listening guys. We'll catch you next time.